the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. Eight of the top ten Irish companies choose to do business with us. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week I'll be looking at Ryanair's profit warning, which sent its share price into a tailspin on Monday. Barry Hallam will join me in studio to explain the reasons for the dip in profits and the potential for more strikes by pilots and cabin crew. In the second half of the show, I'll be joined in studio by KBC Bank Ireland economist Austin Hughes and Owen Burke Kennedy of the Irish Times to discuss the latest exchequer figures and what might or might not be in Pascal Dunhu's budget next week. But first, we're going to have our roundup of some of the major business stories of the week. I'm joined in studio this week by Laura Slattery. Laura, you're very welcome. Uh, And we are going to start with Sean Dunn, who has made the headlines for all the wrong reasons this week. Yes, for reasons he won't like himself. Um, His Irish bankruptcy has been extended by 12 years. Uh, at the High Court over what the judge said was willful and deliberate failure to cooperate with the court-appointed official administering his bankruptcy, which Mm. was supposed to be finished in 2016. And now it's going to run on till 2028 when he'll be the grand age of 73. So it's effectively going to be a 15-year bankruptcy by the time he gets to the end of that term, which is quite unprecedented really, isn't it? It's, I mean, almost as long as it possibly can be under the current rules and it sort of harks back to, I suppose, the system that people used to say was almost like, you know, lifelong debts. Mm. That's what bankruptcy in Ireland was all about. I mean, he himself thought he could sort of get rid of this problem in 2013 within a few months. It hasn't worked out that way. Very strong language from the judge in her uh, judgment. Yes. So this is Miss Miss Justice Caroline Costello. Uh, She said um, he was deeply dishonest witness. He'd engaged in wholesale non-compliance. And there was a numerous other um, very damning words that she had. Now, Dunn has said in a statement that he was he was deeply disappointed and shocked and that's uh, sort of uh, some denial of, of, of what the interpretation of what's been going on. But effectively, what the judge was saying was that he isn't cooperating at all with the court appointed official. That's a guy called Chris Lahan. And she described his attitude as incredible and not in a good way. Yeah. And Dunn himself said he was extremely disappointed and shocked at the ruling which he plans to appeal. He's also got uh, similar trouble uh, across the pond in the United States. Uh, yeah. So he's he's subject to two bankruptcy proceedings essentially. Yeah, I mean this is what this is what happened. You know, going back a few years, he ended up being simultaneously bankrupt on, on both sides of the Atlantic. And what the, the judge's remarks this week have come just a week after it was decided in the US that he was in contempt of court and in violation of a subpoena over over um, emails and uh, he was supposed to, to produce over there. Then subsequently, there's another sort of uh, angle of this is the sort of pursuit of some 100 million in assets that was was transferred to his wife, uh, Gail Killily Dunn. And today it has been ruled in the High Court that those proceedings related to what was in, in alleged to be a fraudulent transfer to Gail Killily Dunn, his wife, that those proceedings can continue. Um, Killily Dunn had sort of sought to have them dismissed on the grounds that this wasn't the correct jurisdiction. Mm. But most of the assets involved are Irish assets. It's quite a fall from grace, isn't it, for Sean Dunn? He was one of the most prolific developers uh, pre the crash in 2008. And of course, he had major plans for the two hotels in Ballsbridge, the former Jury's Doyle hotels. He was going to make that into a, a mini Knightsbridge uh, in Dublin. And he was going to have, I think it was a 22 story 
tower residential tower on the site of uh, one of the hotels. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, I don't want to call a middle-aged man a, a poster boy, but he, he was, you know, for, for the boom, you know, he was a very visible figure through, throughout that. And as I said, you know, he went to all kinds of, of lengths, uh, both in the US and here, to avoid this very situation that he's in. And in fact, arguably some of the steps that he's taken has, have, have backfired on him. It's not the end of the story, but it's certainly a, a, a substantial uh, fall from grace. All right. Uh, we're going to sort of shift uh, to Montrose now, if you like. The Broadcasting Authority of Ireland uh, earlier this week said that RTE should immediately receive a 30 million increase in its annual funding and that TG Carr should get an extra 6 million euro. What's its rationale? Well, the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland has been conducting a five-year funding review of both RTE and TG Car, as it's obliged to do under mm. the, the legislation. And in a way, you know, the last review it also said that they should be given more money. So in a way, what it said this week isn't too much of a surprise, but it's definitely used more blunt language this time. It's used words like they should be immediately given it. It is a matter of urgency. You know, the, the situation just isn't sustainable. And, it's, you know, it is a little bit like, as someone said to me recently, you know, are people reading the accounts? Because the RTE just is deficit after deficit, you know, loss after loss. Does it, does How much did they lose last year? So they had an operational deficit of 6.4 million last year, which, you know, was an improvement on 2016 when they uh, overspent by a quite considerable sum, uh, ended up with a deficit of 19.4 million. Last year was helped by the fact that they had a certain amount of cash coming in from the, in from the land sale. 107 made, million. Yeah, but it, with they have said repeatedly that they can't spend that just on its normal business. That's supposed to be for capital investment and long-term projects. And so it's, it's very... I think some of it's going towards redundancies as well, isn't it? Well, I mean, effectively it has. But then again, that's another problem that it has in the sense that the redundancy scheme hasn't really worked. It has only had voluntary redundancy schemes and they haven't been taken up to the extent that they would like them to be taken mm. up by. So out of the last nine years, RTE has made a deficit. There's some debt sitting on on the books, especially that that relates to um, its role in switching from analogue to digital terrestrial television, which is a project that it was obliged to do. And this is all happening because just the whole industry has changed. I mean, if you look at how much RTE could make commercially in 2007, it, it was, you know, it was 245 million in just, in, just on the commercial side. Uh, and now it's more like 150 million. That's what the figure was for last year, 151. You know, that's not just the recession. That's not going to get that money back. It's not, it's not going to climb back up over, over that almost 100 million. That's true. But having said that, there won't be an awful lot of sympathy among other media in Ireland true, for RTE because they do have the, the licence fee. They get the vast, yeah. vast bulk of the 160 euro a year licence fee that households pay. They do, and it, it worked out as a sum of 186 million for last year. That's a pretty good starting point. Exactly. Well, uh, certainly, I mean, as I've quoted a few times, um, the Chief Executive of Virgin Media Ireland, Tony Hanway, has called that a very nice head start to the financial year, and there's no getting away from that. But it also, you know, the remit is to provide just a very wide variety of public service broadcasting, some of which by definition isn't very commercially viable. And the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland, like its remit is to sort of preserve that un- under the terms of the legislation. So I think really, I mean, if you sort of take RTE and TG Carr out of this a little bit, this is a little bit of a conversation between the BAI and the government, Department of Communications and the rest of the government about, well, what is it do you want here? I mean, if you want to sacrifice these nice things, this nice Irish cultural public service media then fine, but that's 
just admit it almost because that that's that's kind of what's happening at the moment. And has it said uh, how this money should be distributed? I mean, should it come from exchequer funds? Should it be an increase in the license fee? I think what's interesting actually about the statement is that they didn't sort of specify any kind of method by which RTE could be given 30 million immediately. Now, we know if there was certain reforms to license fee uh, enforcement that they could recover, a, you know, a good chunk of money through that. But that, that's not going to happen immediately, even if they were to uh, any closer to sort of doing that at government level, which they aren't. And we've been talking about this for mm. a decade. Um, even if they increase the license fee by yeah. a fiver, what, let's say a million homes pay the license fee, that'd be an extra five million quid. Yeah, so increase it by a tenner, it's 10 million. So yeah. it's still a long yeah. way off 30 million. You're not million. going to get that. You might, you could recover, I said you could recover five million that way, but you're not going to really recover much yeah. more than that. I don't and think why six million for uh, TG Carra? A lot of people might be raising their eyebrows at that. Well, yeah, I mean, TG Carra did receive almost a million extra in funding or it was, it was, it was signalled that it will do uh, over the summer and it, I guess about 32 million from the government. Again, it's just, I guess, a matter of, of making it work in, in a viable way. Again, without they haven't actually published the full funding reviews yet. So without seeing that rationale, I don't know. But um, it's, there's all kinds of questions, I think, that have to be asked about what RTE and TG Carr mm. provide. The BAI says they provide value for money as far as they can tell. But there may be a different opinion within the government and also a different ideological stance, shall we say, um, within the government. Within Fianna Gael party, for example, they may well just feel closer to, say, the opinion of the Conservatives in Britain that we want more of the media opened up to commercial players, which in this case does mean internationally owned um, companies. Talking about the Conservatives in the UK is a perfect segue into uh, our final item, which is a no-deal Brexit. The Conservatives, of course, are meeting in uh, Birmingham, having their annual conference in Birmingham, and they're twisting themselves inside out about uh, Brexit, uh, what kind of deal is going to be done. There is a very real possibility now of a no-deal Brexit, and it's not just in Birmingham that this is exercising people. It's also the talk of the Paris Motor Show. That's right. Well, our colleague Michael McAleer, the motoring editor, is in Paris this week and he's been talking to various people, including Toyota Motors Europe chief executive Johan Van Ziel. And he said, like, this, like the time's running out. That's what Toyota is saying. Uh, BMW, mm. which has been uh, sort of out and about warning about this for a while now. This, they were also at the Paris Motor Show this week and the chief executive, Harold Kruger, was saying, look, their company's going to be forced to build in the Netherlands. And essentially... Yeah, I think they're going to move production of the Mini. They had already the said uh, recently that they were going to shut down the plant in Oxford for a month after March just because they can't sort of have this question mark hanging over it. So they've already planned for temporary sort of cessation of, of production uh, activity there. And really the, the problem uh, affecting all of the car companies is that they work in this just-in-time delivery uh, basis, as, as does uh, many people in, in the grocery sector and other, other sectors. They can't have any delays at borders when you, when you have this many trucks delivering parts to your plant and it's all timed perfectly to happen, uh, you know... At, in at, sync. In sync, yeah. Uh, you can't have the risk of this. Mm. And then at the end, then the pro- end product then faces tariffs when, you know, the, the UK exports about 15 billion of uh, cars to Europe uh, each year. So to the EU rather. So like then you're sort of damaging the end product. You're making the production process way more costly. 
it's just a bit of a disaster. I mean, it, it, right from the very beginning, this has been a sort of a, a talking point. Um, Nissan, if you don't remember, they, they've got one of the biggest car plants in, in, in the UK, in Sunderland. And, and, and sort of it was a bit fears immediately for the Nissan plant. And in late 2016, they said, oh, you know, we're going to commit. We're going to commit to this. But lately, they've been saying things like, oh, we don't want to. We can't make any decisions in the dark. They've been uh, suggesting mm-hmm. they're holding back an investment. A lot of jobs tied to these, these uh, um, plants. And it's really shameful negligence, I think, on the part of um, the uh, political leaders in Westminster that this has been allowed to go on for so long. And this is, uh, we've already seen an impact, haven't we, of Brexit on new car sales in Ireland? Yeah, I mean, this is actually here, you know, that's that's where it's been the most dramatic impact. I mean, it's just the, the, the rate the rate at which uh, used car imports have have, have uh, rocketed at the expense of new car sales has been has been quite stark. And of course, that's because of the, the weakened sterling, which is directly related to... Cheaper to bring in cars now, yeah. yeah. Uh, directly related to what's happening with Brexit. So, you know, the car industry in Brexit is not unlike the Broadcasting Authority and RTE. Uh, they've been saying this all along. It's just that now their warnings are getting more stark and more and more pointed and they're sort of, they're saying, come on, will you just just let us know? Like, Yeah, OK. All right, well, Brexit, no doubt, is going to dominate conversations for some time to come and we'll be revisiting it on this podcast in the future. I've no doubt. Laura Slattery, thank you for joining us. Now, it's been another turbulent week for Irish airline Ryanair, which on Monday issued a profit warning and saw its share price tank. Barry O'Halloran was all over the story and he's going to tell us uh, the reasons behind that profit warning and what it might mean for the airline going forward. Now, Barry, we all know there's been uh, strikes across Europe for Ryanair over the last while. Uh, Oil prices have been on the rise as well, which isn't good, I guess, for its uh, bottom line. But this has all sort of come to a head of late and is impacting uh, Ryanair's profits. Yeah, on uh, Kieran, on Monday, uh, Ryanair said that it expected uh, profits for its full financial year, which ends in uh, on March thirty first next, uh, to be in between one point one billion and one point two billion, which is down from its original expectation of one point two five billion to one point three five billion. So there's one hundred and fifty million of a difference. Thirty million of that is accounted for by rising oil and therefore increased airline fuel costs. And the balance then, 120 million, is the the cost of the fallout from the strikes. And that appears to me to embrace everything from the strikes themselves, the cost of refunding or reaccommodating passengers, uh, a weakening in fares that that follows on from this, and also the possibility that uh, the airline may have to ground some extra craft over the winter, if demand is poor in some areas as a result of these strikes. So they're the kind of three things that that feed into that 120 million. What impact are the strikes having on forward bookings? Because that's kind of a key metric for Ryanair, isn't it? I mean, let's look out, you know, a few months and the booking patterns, and they're normally quite strong, I guess, because Ryanair, you know, is a competitive airline in terms of price and so forth. But if you think, if you're planning to travel over the next few months and you think Ryanair might be on strike, you'll probably look elsewhere. Yeah, there is there is a sense of that, and, and talking to people, there is very much a sense that okay, there is a fear now that industrial action is lurking in the background all the time when 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 you're considering buying a Ryanair flight, and what Ryanair has been doing essentially has been its its usual trick of launching seat sales, um, to encourage people in to buy seats cheaply, which is something Ryanair does very well. Now, while they haven't given. Uh, a lot of visibility on where forward bookings are. I asked 
Michael O'Leary, the chief executive, following their, their AGM, which was around two weeks ago, how forward bookings were shaping up. And he said that in terms of the actual numbers of bookings they're getting, they're strong. But uh, the fares, the, the, the prices that people are paying are weak. And this is, of course, down to the usual sort of Ryanair approach of fill the planes at whatever cost. Uh, so if you're selling seats at 10 euro each to fill the planes, that's what you do. Therefore, that pushes down yields. And I think, to be honest, I think that the trade unions are conscious of that because in terms of the material disruption that the strikes have caused, you could argue that they haven't caused a massive amount of disruption, sort of less than 10% of passengers were hit by Friday's industrial action, say. But it's this ongoing weakness in fares and therefore the money that the airline makes from selling those seats. That's where it's really feeling the pain. And that was the, the kind of key driver behind mm. the profit warning on Monday. Now, mind you, these things are all relative, aren't they? Because a profit of 1.1 billion a year for any airline is pretty impressive. And in fact, most of its peers, if you like, particularly in Europe, they don't achieve anything like that. No, they don't. And there's there's something else brewing here in the background. And I think that it, it, it's going to be very unlikely that very many airlines will be making 1 billion euro profit next year, except possibly Ryanair. Oil costs are rising and they don't appear to be going in any other direction other than up for the moment. And this is a feature of oil prices that tends to be a kind of a strong upward arc and followed by a kind of a strong downward arc. And we've come out of the, last, the, the, the latest downward arc, which began in around 2014. And oil prices are very much on the way up. And that's an extra headwind for everybody, Ryanair included, next year. At the same time, all airlines are adding capacity. They're buying more planes and therefore they have more seats to sell on those planes. And alongside that, there is a distinct appearance of weak demand in Europe. There certainly was this year in some cases. EasyJet, uh, while it produced very good results last week, um, the chief executive, Carolyn McCall, said quite bluntly that they expected a tough period early next year. And EasyJet are, I think, adding around 10%. They're boosting the size of their fleet by 10%. And another competitor, Wizz Air, is boosting its fleet by around 16%. Mm. So you can see there's there's potentially a lot of blood on the wall next year. And Michael O'Leary has predicted that some airlines, a number of airlines will go bust, I think, including Norwegian, who are operating out of Ireland now, of course. Yeah, he's been predicting uh, Norwegian's demise for some time. Um, and Norwegian is certainly sending into difficult waters. Uh, whether or not it's going to go, I don't know. But certainly there's a feeling amongst industry analysts at the moment that some weaker airlines could go next year if the if the trends that we're now seeing emerging in the industry continue. Now, Barry, just bring us up to date on where Ryanair is at in terms of the uh, potential for future strike action with various unions across Europe. We know they did a deal recently with IALPA, the Irish uh, Pilots Union. But where do they stand in terms of their negotiations with the other unions across Europe? Okay, well, they've done various sort of bare bones type deals, if you like, with unions across Europe and particularly in key markets such as Britain, uh, Spain, Italy and Germany. These are a mix. In some cases, it's cabin crew and pilots. In some cases, it's cabin crew only and pilots only. Um, They very recently in this country recognised Forza, uh, which also represents the pilots, as the, um, the the union for cabin crew in Ryanair and the Republic of Ireland. And in the north, uh, they have recognised Unite for cabin crew and the British Airline Pilots Association, BALPA, Balpa for pilots. And uh, they've also done that in, in Britain, so across the UK. Um, most of those agreements are essentially 
the, the sort of broad framework, what the two parties have sat down is recognised each other. The, 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 the airline has said, yes, we recognise you, Unite, BALPA, IALPA, as the organisation that represents cabin crew pilots in this particular jurisdiction. So now I think we're getting to the point where we're going to start putting flesh on the bare bones of those agreements. So essentially you'll be looking at the normal things like pay, conditions, um, holidays, all that sort of stuff, all the sort of stuff that unions and employers haggle over pretty much all the time. And I think Ryanair is now coming out of the initial phase, if you like, and heading into a new phase where it's going to be talking, uh, where it's going to be really in the nitty gritty of industrial relations negotiations with various unions across Europe. And I think there is still scope for strife and unrest there. And I think there's one reason for that, I think, and that is that the airline does not want to compromise its flexible, low cost model at any cost, whereas the unions are going to seek or at least going to try and get it to do to compromise that to a certain extent in order to achieve their aims. So I think there is grounds for more strife. I think both sides expect there to be more strife at this stage. I think the real question is just how much of it is there going to be and when is it going to occur? But it sounds as if it's it's still going to be a bumpy ride ahead for Reiner. Yeah, I think there's a bump. I, I think there's another year in this. Really? Yeah, I think that we could be Maybe we could really be drawing a line under it. If, if you like, by, by the AGM 2019, we could be sitting down and sort of saying, yeah, well, we now think that they're finally fully out of it and that they've settled most of the key industrial relations issues. And from here on, well, may not be businesses as usual, but we'll see where they go from here on. And finally, in terms of the share price, it went down 12.5% on Monday following the profit warning. Uh, down again on Tuesday. I think it's back again uh, this morning, slightly uh, slightly ahead this morning. Is there going to be further turbulence in the share price? I would expect so. Um, a lot of analysts probably feel that the selling has been overdone, but a lot of them would also concede, I think, that if you're an investor, you're still going to be nervous about industrial relations uh, over coming months. So you may, even though the shares may look very good value, and you could argue that they are, you may not necessarily want to plunge back in just now. But it's worth bearing in mind that I, I just I did kind of a, a rough back of the envelope calculation as I was walking in here. Um, and I think that the shares came down by about 13, slightly more than 13% across Monday and Tuesday. And that figure is slightly more than 2 billion euro wiped off the value. In broad terms, it went from 14.8 billion to 12.8 billion. That's a big chunk of change. It's a very, very big chunk of change. Admittedly on paper, but I mean, if, you know, if you had bought on Friday at 13.12, you um, you obviously took a bit of a hit in the last two days. Yeah. Okay. All right, Barry Hallam, we will see how that plays out. We're going to take a short break now when we return. Uh, economist Austin Hughes of KBC Bank Ireland and Owen Burke Kennedy of the Irish Times will join me in studio to talk about the latest exchequer returns and what we might expect in the budget speech next week. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. 
Now, welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Uh, remember that you can download this podcast for free on iTunes and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. Now, I'm joined in studio by economist Austin Hughes of KBC Bank Ireland and by Ombrook Kennedy of the Irish Times and we're going to be talking about the Exchequer returns and next week's budget. Um, Owen, might start with you first. Uh, we had Exchequer returns this week for the first nine months of this year. It shows that we're, our revenues are ahead of last year but behind target. Yeah, so um, they came in around 127 million below profile to be exact. But um, I should say they're about 5% or nearly 2 billion up on last year. And uh, 127 billion in a context of 60 billion is, is pretty small. And uh, most of the department officials would, would pretty much say they're broadly on target. And that's what the minister said yesterday. Um, there is, however, you know, in previous years, tax revenues typically exceeded expectations, giving the minister maybe a little bit more room for manoeuvre on budget day. And then coupled with the fact that overspending in health has ballooned to about 300 million, which is twice what it was at this point last year. So things are a little bit tighter maybe than in previous years. But ultimately, the minister was out saying they're kind of within within the forecasts and he seemed pretty upbeat. Um, digging into the figures themselves, the main undershoot, if I can call it that, was in excise duty. And that, again, relates to retailers stockpiling um, cigarettes before the introduction of plain packaging. That's going to wash through the system uh, in time. So um, nothing major uh, in the figures. I mean, the, the corporation tax up strongly again. The, yeah, that's, and that's been the case for quite some time. Six percent. Yeah, and that's been the case for quite some time. So the government had predicted, predicted in its in its um, stability impact statement uh, earlier in the year that we'd get about eight and a half billion this year, and on a record that is likely to be exceeded. We may even eclipse nine billion, which is you know double where it was three or four years ago. Even so, pretty startling figures um, on the corporation tax front. I suppose the main one that that you should look at is income tax. Uh, that accounts for around forty percent of the total tax take, and. Uh, that was bang on target and up a billion, uh, just under a billion in year-on-year terms. Um, you know, and the previous central bank governor, Patrick Honan, always said to look at Ireland's recovery through the guise of employment. And I suppose the extra tax in that area is a reflection of the rapid recovery in employment we've seen over the and last In fact, year. we had unemployment numbers this week which show we're, we're at a, a new low post the crash. Yeah, 5.4%. Now, that's been uh, revised twice, so people are probably confused why we're still above 5%, even though we've been falling. Um, but in, anyway, there, there was recent uh, population figures that came in that uh, caused a revision. But essentially, we've been falling nonstop since around 2012, the low point of the crash. Yeah. So at one stage, we were up at 15%. We're now down close to 5%, close to full employment. Yeah, okay. Austin, um, what did you make of the exchequer returns? Um, Yeah, really, as Owen said, they're showing that revenues are doing reasonably well, not spectacularly well, and I really think Owen is on the button there in terms of uh, you might have expected uh, an economy that's showing such strong trends in domestic employment and where talk of boom is back everywhere uh, to be producing much better than expected tax returns. So why isn't it? Um, Well, I I think there's two or three elements. There's specific issues, as Owen mentioned, such as the excise duties. But I I think there's a broader element. One, uh, in terms of consumer spending, there's a lot of caution. We have our own consumer sentiment index out earlier this uh, 
week, and that was showing that consumers are feeling the pinch in many areas and they're a little more nervous about Brexit. So I, I think the sort of free spending Irish consumer of the previous boom is a creature that is now extinct and they're bargain hunting. And that brings the, the second specific aspect of it. Inflation is very low. And we see that in terms of the intense price competition in retailing, uh, the the tendency for consumers to only buy when uh, the firm is announcing some 20% off weekend or whatever. So the culture has changed there. And that spreads into the labour market. The income tax numbers are very decent. But again, where the economy is generating 3.5% employment growth, where unemployment is down now towards the 5% level, you might expect to see pay increases running a little bit faster. So what we have is a consumer and a wage bargainer who is altogether more cautious, and that's reflected in a, a still solid rise in tax revenues, but not spectacular. And if you look at the last three months, actually, tax revenues are probably about 300 million below what might have been expected in profile. They were ahead of target at the half year point. Now, a lot of that is probably due to the specific dependence on corporation taxes, but it's still pointing towards things that are going okay. And if you Move that on forward. I suppose you have tax revenues, depending on how you measure them, either five or six percent up in rough terms and spending, excluding interest payments, running about nine percent. So there's an issue there that it's fine now. There's no real immediate problem. But again, you would hope that that isn't the sort of long term trend because otherwise we're moving back into dangerous territory. Yeah. What about these corporation tax receipts up 6.3% to 5.1 billion euro? Uh, in the first nine months of the year. And as Owen said, it might even tip nine billion for the year. And I think if we go back only a few years, they were at what the, the sort of four, four and a half billion level. Uh, are these sustainable? Um, they are sustainable if the international environment remains as it is. I think we have seen a lot more companies move more activities into Ireland. And so in circumstances where we don't see dramatic changes in tax law, they're probably okay. It would be wrong to start building expectations of future wage growth or public service increases on, uh, you know, an ever-increasing amount of corporation taxes. But I think a healthy Irish economy should be generating far more modest increases in future years. But I don't think, barring some sort of international you know, shock, that we're going to see them uh, collapse in the way that property revenues did, for example. Yeah. What about the budget next week, uh, Austin? How much headroom has the Minister for tax, and, uh, tax cuts and spending increases? Well, on these numbers, again, as Owen said, that there's no magic rabbit appearing out of the hat at the last minute. There's no sense that uh, the tax revenues are pointing towards a dramatically better performance, which would allow them to stand up as ministers have in the past and said, well, there is actually more... Uh, headroom than I expected. I think the general sense is that it's about 800 million uh, net and he will raise taxes undoubtedly that we're going to see likely increase. What's your expectation? Where, where will you raise taxes? I, I think we're, we're going to see probably fairly significant increases in the old reliable, particularly carbon taxes that we could see a couple of hundred million possibly raised there. We will probably see VAT uh, on the 
hotel sector raised, whether it goes back to the full 13% or whether there's an interim stage remains to be seen. But that would give them about uh, 400 million, those couple of measures. That would raise the overall amount to about 12 or 1300 million and it would allow them on a two to one ratio, give a tax package similar to last year's. And I think that's the sort of element that you'd see something of the order of four or 500 million in tax concessions and further spending increases of about 800 million. That's reasonable. I think it's sustainable. I think after the budget, everyone will be saying, what was that about? Uh, you know, four yeah, or five million in my well, pocket. That yeah, exactly. Going to well, what's that going to mean in terms is, of your tech company? That actually is probably a very good thing, right? Uh, we have had a tradition in Ireland where the minister was either Santa or Scrooge. And remember, he was Santa or Scrooge with our money. Uh, so we either had massive budget giveaways or we've had the horrendous sort of tightening of the last one. It would be nice if the budget became a fairly dull a day in the calendar. But there's still an expectation that maybe the minister will do magic things. And as you see, you know, constant rumours about what various um, independent alliance uh, TDs are suggesting or what other groups are suggesting. There's always that element. So it would be nice if it was just a day of bread, but unfortunately it's still a day of circuses as well. Austin, why doesn't he balance the budget? Because we're still borrowing, uh, we're still borrowing basically to keep showing the road every year. I think uh, it makes perfect sense that he isn't balancing the budget. You know, I think there's a decent chance next year he will balance the budget. The reality is he's targeted in the pre-budget, the pre-pre-budget documents, you know, the stability program update earlier in the year and the summer economic statement. It's a deficit on the general government side of about $350 million. As Owen was saying, a, a small overshoot on corporation taxes and we're home and dry in terms of a surplus. But I, I would say, you know, I'm in a minority of economists who think there's a fetish about a surplus as such. As long as the trajectory is moving okay. Remember, we ran surpluses in nine of 10 years up to 2007. Didn't do us a lot of good back then. Maybe it gave us a little bit headroom, but it wasn't a sign of an underlying stable fiscal position. I'm much more interested in seeing are the increases in spending sustainable? Are the increases in taxes sensible in terms of where they're going? The concessions in taxes sensible in terms of an economy that is doing really well, but will face lots of challenges in the next couple of years through Brexit, maybe a global slowdown, higher interest rates. So I wouldn't be fixated on the surplus as long as there's sign that we're being sensible about public spending and taxation. Okay, Owen, last year there were a couple of left-field tax measures by the Minister Pascal Donoghue. One of them was the commercial um, stamp rate duty, uh, which went up to 6%. Yeah, speculation that he might uh, do something in that area again, but who knows. Okay, and there was a Sunbet tax and, you know, a couple of other kind of Mm. peculiar ones as well, which Mm. we uh, didn't expect. What what rabbits might he pull out of the hat this year? Well, as Austin... uh, reflected a few minutes ago. I mean, the, the favourite one is 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 um, the kind of special nine percent uh, VAT rate on, for the hospitality sector and the unwinding of that. I mean, that's that's one that's been speculated for a long time. And tourism numbers are up, booking numbers across the country are up. So um, there's strong speculation that that sector might be hit. Uh, they would say that they're facing into uncertain times with Brexit, but we'll see what the minister thinks. Um, carbon tax is one. The old reliables, of course, are obvious. Um, hiking up the excise duty on diesel now that we realise how uh, much of a pollutant diesel is 
Um, that would impact business, though, wouldn't it? I mean, a it lot would of definitely trucks, impact obviously, and a lot of trucks, a lot of trucks on the road. And those a lot guys of, have Brexit to contend with at the minute. And not least, a lot of people bought diesel cars back, you know, when the Greens were in government and are facing long commutes because of the housing crisis in Dublin, and now they're going to be faced being hit again with that. So, um, yeah, it's difficult to see where he's going to um, raise the extra money for what also said the tax package, but um, no doubt he will lip over the billion. Uh, an increase from 800 million to, I think, what did Austin say, 1.4? 1.2, 1.2, yeah. 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 Austin, will there be any sort of Brexit proofing in this budget? It comes next March. uh, That's when the UK is due to leave the EU. I don't think you can Brexit proof, right? You you can maybe lessen the damage and that, and I think, you know, measures that, as I say, if you were to see any spectacular rise in spending or anything that increased the domestic cost base aggressively, that would be a problem. I do think this is a balancing act. So I think there will be something on carbon taxes and there will be that recognition. Yes, it's going to be much more difficult for the transport sector, but lower diesel prices probably aren't the way to resolve that. I think there's a sort of a breath-holding competition in terms of Brexit because we really don't know the nature, scale, where the issues are going to hit the economy. You know, in terms of pre-Brexit impacts, we've seen big changes in terms of car imports, the switch to second-hand cars. So there are probably sectors that when you line up all the economists and say what will be impacted, that we're going to miss entirely. And in that regard, I think it's a case of having scope maybe to act after the budget in terms of special measures rather than actually trying to pre-Brexit proof the economy you know, pre-Brexit proofing would really mean having some magic wand that prevented Brexit from taking place. I think there's a hope that Brexit won't effectively take place still until the end of 2020, and it will give us more time in that regard. But there really isn't anything you can do on Wednesday, on Tuesday next, to actually change the, the Brexit situation. You can make it worse by increasing costs, by increasing spending on uh, unsustainably but I don't think you can actually magic the problem away What's interesting is just how little an impact there has been on the trade figures from Brexit so far today even though you know Sterling's down nearly under 89p nothing major to see in the trade figures from that uh, we had rumours of a major uptick in cross-border shopping recently but the VAT figures are still pretty strong so that doesn't seem to be impacting so at the moment it's a real wait and see yeah. Arguably there is a marginal impact because of inflation being lower so the VAT would be higher but but for the sterling pressure but by and large that's compensated by the fact that people have more spending power in the economy. And also what about housing? Any housing measures expected or property tax? I mean the property tax is due to be uh, revised isn't it? Well, I, I think it has been said that that would be happen after the budget and the budget isn't a great time to announce that because, again, I think this has to be seen in the context of an overall housing package rather than, and here's something we're throwing in today, again, back to the day of circuses where suddenly there's something from a somersault from a great height and we get something spectacular. Um, no, I, I think there will be some mention, some reference to housing I really hope we're not going to see any tweak. There are signs of a pickup in transactions, of a softening in house price inflation. It's not happening fast enough for anyone trying to rent or to buy at the moment or, or, you know, or 
you know, to resolve the housing or the homelessness problem. But you are seeing small progress. And I think, again, anything major is more likely to cause problems than be a solution. So there will be some mention, there will be some extra funding. There may be, again, a little more uh, stick in terms of holders of uh, vacant property. There may be a little bit of reference there. Whether it's actually a warning or actually an increase there remains to be seen. So there will be some reference to it, but I don't think there's going to be substantive measures. Austin, this is the third and final budget as part of the supply and confidence agreement between Fianna Fáil and the minority government. So, uh, you know, this could be a pre-election budget. And normally a pre-election budget, there's a huge buzz around the place. You know, what's, what's the minister going to give away? Charlie McCreevy was great at uh, giveaways in his budgets uh, prior to elections. But there's none of that. There's no fizz. There's no buzz. There's no sense of uh, anticipation around this. No. I, again, I hope we've learned lessons that there's no free money out there uh, and that ultimately it would be paid back. There is that sort of element where again, consumers, businesses and hopefully politicians have learned that, you know, being actually sensible about budget policy is the way to improve living standards. I do think there will be something, you know, we have an economy where there's an improving economy. It's doing really well at the moment, but there are still uh, lots of people who aren't seeing significant gains and you will need to, to actually put modest amounts of increase in terms of social welfare, pensions and tax concessions into people's pockets because with wage growth very limited, lots of people feel very remote from the boom they're hearing about. Yeah, right. Uh, Owen, are you excited about the budget next week? It's on Tuesday. It's at one o'clock, I think, is when the minister is going to stand up in the doll and deliver it all. Well, you have no, your pen poised. I'll have my pen poised. But um, yeah, I mean, in, in the past, we, we've kind of got used to now, um, you know, realising that, you know, in terms of your own personal pay packet and your own pocket, they don't really mean that much. And I suppose Fine Gael, as you said, like to, um, you know, present themselves as the kind of model of stability and overseeing the economy and, and, and the stable aspect, and they'll be playing up that. But yeah, there is, as you say, a kind of lack of fizz around, around next week's set piece. Okay, we'll leave it there. Uh, let me just uh, inform you that our next podcast will be available next Tuesday on Budget Day. Uh, Pascal Dunahoo, the Minister for Finance and Public Expenditure and Reform, will be giving his speech at about 1pm in Dadaal and we'll have our podcast uh, shortly thereafter. Uh, for this week, uh, that's it for from Inside Business. My thanks to Laura Slattery, Barry Halloran, Austin Hughes and Owen Burke-Kennedy for joining me in the studio. Jennifer Ryan produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com and you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.